following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. Begin in verse 1, the Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied, continuing with our uh, subject of the Lord's desire for you in these words, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, as we look into thy word concerning the subject, Father, Lord, we're in great need of grace and mercy. Father, Lord, we live in a sin-cursed world, and Father, sometimes we let the sin around us affect us, and in our spirit, sometimes in our behavior, and sometimes we're just not what we ought to be. And Lord, I pray as we look into thy word tonight, God, I pray that thou would help us to focus our attention on the Lord and your desire for us to have grace and peace and that it be multiplied. Father, bless us, help us, strengthen us, Lord, for the battle that we're in, a spiritual battle that we're in, and uh, in our service for thee, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, the Lord's uh, desire for you in these words, knowing that these are not just the words of Peter. I think Peter had this desire, but they're more than that. They are the words of God, as we know all scriptures given by inspiration of God. We've talked so far about the source of grace and peace, as he says here in verse 2, grace unto you and peace be multiplied, knowing that grace is appropriate to the free unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive from him. It's the divine help of the Lord in John 1 and 14. John 1 and 14. John 1 and uh, verse 14. Here the Bible says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the source of grace, and He is the source of peace. In John 14 and uh, 25, John 14. And uh, verse 25, here the Lord says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When the world may be in full turmoil, we can have peace in the Lord. We know he is the source of grace and peace. And then if you look with me at 2 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1 and verse 1. Here the Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so we've been spending our time talking about the fact that God wants us to have an abundance of grace and peace. He wants it to grow, if you will, and it will only grow as we, our knowledge of God increases. As a matter of fact, in Second Peter chapter 3, and uh, verse uh, 17 and 18, here the Lord says, Ye therefore, 
Beloved, seeing you know these things, beware lest ye also be being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now, he's not talking about losing your salvation. But folks, you know, we can fall into sin. We can falter. Uh, we could, you know, sometimes we could be, even as the Lord was, were to come tonight, some in this room might be caught not being as steadfast in the Lord as we ought to be. Now, you'll be no less saved, and yet uh, to, you'll go be, stand before God wishing you, you'd done more, wishing you'd been right with the Lord when he came. Amen. But he says here in verse 18, But grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to, whom, uh, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And yet, um, as we've been talking about uh, uh, the, the, the growing in, the, if you will, the, the knowledge of the grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. We talked about the knowledge of God in salvation, Romans 5 and 1. Romans 5 and 1. <clears throat> you know, folks, we don't, you know, we don't know that much about salvation until after we get saved. We, the Lord will open our understanding, give us enough understanding to understand the gospel and how it applies to us. And the Lord will use it to draw us to Christ himself and be saved. But we learn so much more about salvation after we have been saved and have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And Romans 5 and 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, I, I think sometimes of grace as being a special room. And the way into the grace of God, the acceptance of God, the favor of God, the care of God is through the door of faith in our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, which brings us justification and peace uh, with the Lord. So we know that uh, grace and peace can be multiplied through the knowledge of salvation. You know, folks, we have a greater peace the more we know about our salvation. Amen. You know, folks, when we stop and think about what God has done for us and we learn more about salvation, our, our peace increases and we understand the, the grace of God better and what God did for us when he saved us by that grace. And then we talked about the knowledge of God in service, if you will, 1 Corinthians 15 and 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 <clears throat> Here the Bible says, but by the grace of God, I am, uh, he says, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You know, as we talk about uh, the grace of God in service, uh, the longer we live, the more we know that if we're going to get anything done for God, it'll be because of the help of God. Not because of who we are, but rather who he is and what his power is. You know, the grace of God is God's enabling and help uh, for us in his service in 1 Timothy 1 and 12. 1 Timothy 1 and 12. <clears throat> Here Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in an unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in uh, Christ Jesus. So Paul talks uh, about uh, the grace of God that uh, helped him to be able to serve the Lord and the peace that comes from, you know, the peace that comes sometimes from letting God do it. You know, sometimes we struggle in ourselves to do things for God and, and we get upset and discouraged and defeated 
And sometimes the problem is, is we have to learn that, you know what, we can't do it. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, without me, ye can do nothing. Amen? So we talked about that as well, the knowledge of God in service. And last time we talked about the knowledge of God in suffering. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and looking at verse 7, Philippians chapter 3, and looking at verse 7, I don't know where I'm going here. Here the Bible says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And he's speaking of his religion, his past religion and his standing in his religion, the Jews' religion, as he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is the law, and worthless, by the way, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness uh, which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain under the resurrection of the dead. But he says in verse 10, uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, Paul wanted to be able to be like the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in all things, even in his suffering. And you know, sometimes it is our tendency to want to avoid, avoid any possibility that we might suffer for the cause of Christ, the name of Christ, and uh, even to the point of, of maybe trying to hide our, our light under a bushel, so to speak, trying not to uh, you know, uh, be known or uh, stand up for our Lord. And yet Paul uh, counted it. And folks, Paul and other saints of old, folks, counted, uh, counted it, a, 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 if you will, a victory or, or a blessing to, be, to suffer shame uh, for our name's sake in uh, Romans chapter 8 and 17. Romans chapter 8. And 17, you know, most of us uh, like the idea one day reigning with Christ, but what about suffering with Christ before we go, amen? In Romans 8 and 17, Paul writes, If, if children then heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which uh, shall be revealed in us. You know, uh, someone once said <clears throat> that many are willing to reign with Christ, but they would not be willing to suffer with him. Many would be willing to wear a crown of glory like him, but not, uh, uh, <clears throat> not the crown of thorns. Many would be willing to put on the robes of splendor, uh, which will be worn in heaven, but not the scarlet robe of contempt and mockery. They would desire to share the glories and triumphs of redemption, but not its poverty, contempt, and persecution. This was not the feeling of Paul. He wished in all things to be just like Christ, and hence to be counted in an honor to be permitted to suffer, even as he did in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, Beloved, think it's not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice 
inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and, and of Christ resteth on you. On, uh, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. And so it is that we talked about, if you will, the knowledge of God in suffering. And tonight, and lastly, the knowledge of God in sanctification. Look with me to uh, John 17. John 17. And looking at verse 15. <clears throat> John 17 and uh, verse 15. Here the Lord Jesus Christ in his prayer for his people, his intercessory prayer says this, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. He's talking about his people. And folks, when the rapture happens, it's not the rapture of the church, it's the rapture of the saints, the saved, amen? Because not every, not every saved person is in a good, sound, scriptural church. And there is one, one local, visible, scriptural church. It's a New Testament Baptist church. Uh, and yet Christ... Uh, uh, is not going to, if you will, rapture just the church, but the same. But he says, but I pray that thou shouldst take, uh, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst uh, keep them from evil. And what he's talking about is sanctification in a practical sense in our conversation and in our behavior. He's talking about a holiness, if you will. And uh, he said, goes on to say here, uh, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know, folks, we're saved, we're in the world, and yet we're not. We're not to be of the world. We're not to behave like them anymore. We live with them. We need to reach out to them, make friends with them, try to reach them for Jesus Christ. But folks, we don't want to behave like them. We don't want to commit the same sin and be a partaker with them in it. He goes on to say here in uh, verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. He means set them apart from sin through thy truth. The truth, he says, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even as I, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may, uh, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now, when, we, when Jesus said, "I sanctify myself," he's not talking about the fact that he's sinning, but rather that he, you know, Christ is holy from beginning to end, if you will. Even though he's a man, he was a holy man. He was. Uh, without sin, tempted in all points, and yet without sin, the Bible says. And yet when he speaks about I sanctify myself, he says I'm setting myself apart, consecrating myself for the ser holy service for my holy Father. Amen? And uh, the Lord would have us to be sanctified. You know, sanctification is us being set apart from sin and consecrated for service. When we're saved by the grace of God, we're set apart from sin. We are no longer viewed as a sinner. We are viewed in light of Jesus Christ and the fact that he's cleansed us from all of our sins. We're seen as holy, set apart in Christ for God forever. But in our practical life, in this life, uh, the Lord wants to set us apart in our behavior and our practice in this world. One of these days, we're going to go to heaven and sin's not going to be an issue anymore. I mean, you know, for the, the, the saved, I mean, sin won't take you to hell, but sin will take you places you don't want to go. Amen. Sin will take you places you don't want to go. But thanks be to God that the Lord desires to sanctify us. You know, he wants us to be like him, and Christ was sanctified. He was set apart, uh, consecrated for holy uh, service, and so it is that the Lord wants to do that for us. In John 10, again, 
And verse 36, John 10 and 36. <clears throat> Here Jesus said, say ye, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe me not, believe the works that ye may know, and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. He's talking about the fact that you know, God had, had consecrated for holy service, sanctified him, sent him into the world to do something for the Lord. Folks, God has left us. God did, you know, when we get saved by the grace of God, God could take us home that quick. Now, wouldn't that be great? You get saved one minute, you're gone. Be sure of this, we'd know who was saved and who wasn't. <laughs> Wouldn't be any doubt about it. You'd be gone. Uh, we'd all be in heaven, though. <laughs> uh, the fact is, God's left us behind in a church, amen, uh, to, rec uh, to live for him and show the world to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, uh, which is in heaven. And so it is uh, that we're here for that purpose in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, uh, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here he's right in the church at Corinth. He calls them saints. You know, folks, uh, though sometimes we don't behave very saintly, we're saints. And the Catholic Church doesn't have to make us that to be saints. We're saints because Christ has made us saints. Amen? Sanctified ones. Those who have been made holy and acceptable unto God. But he's writing to a church. And you know, folks, within that church are saints. Sanctified ones. God would have us to live a sanctified holy life before him look with me to ephesians chapter 5 ephesians chapter 5 and looking at verse 25 one of the reasons we have a, a, a new testament church a church where we come together visibly call, coming out from the world visibly to meet together to worship the lord is so that we can grow in grace and in knowledge of the lord so with that we can be the kind of holy people uh, even as our God is holy. In Ephesians 5 and 25, Paul writes here to the church at Ephesus, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know, God wants his church and the members of that church to be a holy people, holy in our practice and our behavior. And uh, one of the reasons we gather together is so that God will hopefully be able to lead the preacher to preach the words of God that will help to cleanse our lives, cleanse our behavior, help us to be more like the Lord, and be a holy people before the Lord, for the Lord. Amen. And that's the work of the Lord's church. And he does that through the Spirit of God and his word. He says it plainly, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. 
Jesus said in John 15 and 3, now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. You know, I would hope that when we come to church sometimes, you know, it can't all be, I can't always be preaching on peaches and cream. And, oh, it's just wonderful to be saved. Sometimes I've got to talk about sin and the fact that, you know what, we need to clean some things up. Some things need to change. You know, sometimes the, the, the Holy Spirit will say, Here, here's, some, here's a problem. Let's deal with it. And we all have them. Amen. You know, the, before I get to, to the place where I bring the, the Word of God out to you, do you know who God's talking to first? Me. Amen. Talking to me about me. And making sure that I'm what I ought to be. Amen. Even as I preach to you. In Ephesians chapter 4, looking at verse 11. Here the Bible says, And he gave some prophet, apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to de deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know, folks, it talks about the perfecting of the saints. Now, you know what? We're never going to be perfect in our behavior in this life because we live in a sin-cursed body. Paul said, uh, for will to, to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He said, he said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. You know, we live in a body sometimes that desires to sin. And there's a struggle, a conflict that goes on. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. We're perfect in Christ. In our position, God will never cast us out, though we struggle in our behavior. Amen. We're secure in Him. We're perfect in Him. And yet, God wants to perfect us. He wants to, to clean us up. He wants us to be like the Lord. He wants us to be mature, grown up, not, not, not like children, tossed to and fro. You know, Children sometimes vacillate between the moods sometimes and between this thing and that thing. They're never sure about what, you know, this or that. Folks, we ought to know what we believe. We ought to be sure. We ought to be able to say with Paul, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We ought to know we're saved and, and, and be sure of it. Have some maturity in our behavior. Not, you know, not when everything starts to, when some little thing happens. Oh, no! It shouldn't be that way. Amen. We should be growing up. You know, we should have, have less and less time, fewer and fewer times of the, oh, no! Amen. You know, sometimes you look at some Christian's life and it's like this. A roller coaster. They're up, they're down. They're up, they're down. They're up, they're down. We would hope we would hope in time that things would start to level off a little more. Not so deep down, not so high up, but more level. Amen. Moving on in a steady, uh, in a, a firm pattern of behavior. And, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes I know myself as a new Christian, you know, you hear different things, you get excited about things, and you, you're, you go through all kinds of strange things <laughs> as new Christians. And uh, we need to grow up. And you know, the, the strangeness, <laughs> the strange, strangeness should be less. Now, I look at some of you and I, I have to wonder. But it, it should get better, amen? It will get better. 
The Bible says in Psalm 119.9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Why, why spend any time reading your Bible? Why spend any time going to church and listening to the word of God? You know what? Because God wants to straighten some things out in our lives. And then one of the chief tools that he uses is the word of God. You know what, folks? Do not, listen, do not get in a habit of not reading your Bible. Find some time in your day, whether it's in the morning, evening, wherever, whenever. You know, I don't read my Bible first thing in the morning. <gasps> That's terrible, preacher. Yeah. You know what I'm doing in the morning? I'm getting up, getting in the shower, getting out of the shower, getting on the road, and getting down the road to get to work. <gasps> when do you read your Bible? I'm on lunch break. <gasps> you wait till lunchtime? Well, lunchtime for me is anywhere between 9 and 11. <laughs> I am at work at 4. <clears throat> Sometimes I like to listen to the Bible on tape while I'm working, amen? What a blessing. But for me, it's sitting down on my lunch break reading my Bible, doing some studying. That's my time. That's it, a time where that noisy, talkative wife of mine isn't there to bother me. Yeah, she married the motor mouth, amen? Look at me to Psalm 101. Psalm 101. <clears throat> You know, and, and let me say this, sanctification, holy living, is not just when you're out, out of the house. <laughs> Sometimes we imagine that sanctification is just for when we're outside the house. When we're at home, we, we can do what we want to do. In Psalm 101, in verse 1, uh, David says this, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, and wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. A froward heart uh, shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. And him that hath an high look and a proud heart will, I not, will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off the, all the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Now, you know what, folks? That sounds grand. Sounds grand, I mean, to, to be careful. And let me say this. You know what, folks? Sanctification, holy living, is not just for outside. It's, at, it's for at home. It's for at home. It, it, you know, it governs what we watch on TV, what we listen to on the radio, what we look at on the internet. Um, it, it governs who you're dealing with on social media. You know, I don't know how many, you know, you know what's hard for me is when I hear about a Christian man uh, put, getting out on, on social media and getting involved with women that are not his wife or what have you. It destroys their marriages and, and vice versa. Women do the, just the opposite. And, and you know, sometimes these things are going on at home. Sometimes they're going on at home. The way you treat your husband, the way you treat your wife has everything to do with holy behavior. You know, you know what? Husbands shouldn't be angry and nasty to their wives. I've learned. I'm not nasty to my wife anymore. Because boy, when I am, boy, do I get hurt? Amen. She wears out. I mean, how many? You should see the, the broken fragments of clubs in our home. 
Folks, we need to learn that the people in our home are the people we love. And, you know, we don't love everybody. Behave, you know, sometimes we'll be more courteous to a stranger than we will to be to our husband or wife or our children. Folks, you know, courtesy and kindness should be first at home. And it's a part of being sanctified and holy living. Amen? And yet sometimes husbands will chew their wives out and, and line them out and tell them how they ought to do that. Do you know, listen, uh, your wife is your equal. Husbands and wives are equals. Now the husband may have the responsibility of final leadership, but he's a fool if he doesn't listen to his wife sometimes. Because you know, a wife can give good advice. Oh, those are, they're all just dumb women. I'm the leader. <clears throat> you can't get out of bed and put your pants on in the morning, amen, without your wife. <clears throat> you know, the fact is, is, is that we, have to behave, we need to behave at home, amen? And wives shouldn't be nagging at their husbands. Ah, that nagging wife of me. Now, if you're, a, if you're a goofball and laying straighten up, I see you're smiling. Yeah, maybe a little nagging's okay when it comes to laying. No, a lot. Amen. <clears throat> but maybe she nags at you because you're a bum. You're lazy or whatever. Don't be lazy. Be nice. Amen. Do, what, you know, do the honeydew list. I never ask my wife if there's anything she wants me to do. I just don't go there. <laughs> I just don't go there. I avoid so much trouble with that then I don't have to argue with her about the fact that I don't want to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> We're talking about sanctification, amen. Uh, <clears throat> look with me to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57 <clears throat> and verse 15. You know, let's not do everything dumb, guys, amen. Let's figure out what's good and avoid the evil at home, amen. Isaiah 57 and 15 Bible says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth, for the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid me and was wroth, and he went on frowardly in the, in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace, to him that is afar off and to him that uh, is near, saith the Lord, I will heal him. You know, sometimes, folks, people get backslidden. And God has to turn them around and, and get them back into a place of holy behavior and behaving like they ought to. And he says, uh, peace, peace. You know, the Lord wants them to know the peace of God. And it's going to come because of a gracious God that goes after us, a gracious Heavenly Father that goes after us when we get wayward. Amen? To turn us around, to bring us back into the way of peace. Look at me, to, uh, he, let's, he read on, he says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up uh, mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You know, the, the, the wicked don't understand the peace of God. And they won't have it until they turn to Christ. But when they do, you know, folks, people can have peace through the grace of God. 
And you know, folks, the grace of God is going to lead us to do right. Not to just, hey, you know, I'm saved now. We can just, yeah, we can coast. Everything's good. I'm going to heaven. You know, no, it's not like that. Jeremiah 3 and 21. Jeremiah 3 and 21. Here the Bible says, A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplication of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way, and they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art of the Lord our God. You know, folks, be sure if you're not right with God, God wants you to be right, and he's waiting for you. You He's working in your heart trying to get you right, but sometimes it comes down to a choice that we turn back to God, knowing that the Lord is our God. He's there for us. You know, just like the prodigal son, when he came to himself, said, what am I doing in the hog pen? They said, I'm going to go home and talk to my dad. And on his way home, he realizes he sees his dad come and run into him. And he'd blown it. He'd made a mess of things. Sometimes we blow it, we make a mess of things. The Lord said, come on, come on, let's get right. I'm here for you, I love you. And yet, folks, God, you know what, folks? In the final analysis, God wants us to be like him in holy living and behavior. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verses 17 and 18, folks. It's going to be accomplished through the Spirit of God using the word of God. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now liberty is not the freedom to do as you please. You know that? Liberty is not the freedom to do as you please. Christian liberty is the freedom to do as he pleases, and, as it, and what pleases him. Amen. Well, you say, but, but I'm free. I can do what I want to do. You know, as Americans, we have freedom, we have liberty. But that's not license to do as you please. That doesn't give you license to go out and shoot somebody. Oh, I'm free. I have liberty. I can do what I want to do. Really? Nobody has that. Not even Christians. We've been given freedom to live for God, to do the right thing. Because doing the right thing helps us, blesses us. And blesses everybody else around us. But he says in 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, Now where the Spirit of the Lord there is, uh, is <laughs> now, now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know what, folks? Here's the mirror. And the Holy Spirit is going to get you in front of the mirror in your devotions, or sometimes at church, and he's going to say, now listen, how's it look? How do you look? How do I look? And he'll show us Christ. Amen? And you know what's going to happen? We're going to say, wow. (laughs) Something ought to change here. Something ought to change there. Amen? Sanctified living, doing right doing as the Lord. You know, folks, Christ did everything. The Bible says he does all things well. He did everything right. But preacher, you don't know me. Well, you don't know me either. 
We don't always do the right thing. But we ought to be striving to do the right thing. Do what the Lord would do. Amen? Someone once said, uh, maybe you should ask yourself when you're about to do a thing, would the Lord do this? Wow. (laughs) Wow. That might shut down a lot of what we're going to do. 2 Corinthians 4, and looking at verse... That's not the verse I'm... 2 Corinthians 6, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 6, and verse 14. Wrote down the wrong reference again, amen. 2 Corinthians 6, look at verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers... For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what conquereth Christ with Belial, and what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Now this deals with uh, marriage relationships. You know what? Uh, unsaved people ought not to marry saved people. And, and, and it also deals with business relationships. You ought not to get into business with an unsaved person. So why not? Because you know what, folks? You don't have the same goals, same ambitions, same God. Amen? And it's going to be trouble. It's trying to put light and darkness together in business, and it isn't going to work. And he says here, And what agreement at the temple of God with idols? And For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and, and uh, walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Let me say this. You know what, folks? We as a church will not cooperate with every church in town when it comes to ministry and, and the service of God. He said, why not, preacher? Are we all, all Christians? No. Not every church in town is a Christian church, and not everybody that goes to these churches are Christians, and not everybody that's in this church is a Christian. But we as a representative of Christ, as the Lord's church, cannot, listen, cannot uh, do business with uh, groups that are contrary to the Scripture. So we will not cooperate with them in ministry. Not, not because we want to be nasty. Now, so they may interpret that as being nasty. No, it's called biblical uh, separation. It's called ecclesiastical separation. And he goes on to say, <clears throat> Wherefore, verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them and be a separate, say the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the, the Lord Almighty. God says, come out and be separate. He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about Biblical separation is trying to be sanctified uh, to, to keep yourself unspotted from this world. Now, we live in the world, and we can't uh, go out of the world. We live among unsaved people, and we live in a sin-cursed world. And, you know, we have to, to, to get to know people. We have to reach out to them, but we don't have to sin with them. We want to help them to be saved from sin, saved to a life without sin. We can't do that if we're living in sin. Amen? It's an amazing thing sometimes, the stuff that is going on right now in America. Not only the, the gender reassignment nonsense, but now I heard recently that there is a, a, an adult parent that wants to, and they're suing in, in uh, uh, New York State, they're suing to be allowed to marry their child. Now, they're both adults, but they're suing in court to, to be allowed to marry their child. Folks, that's incest. It's sin, and it's against the law. Now, you say, why would you bring that up, preacher? Because, folks, <clears throat> that's, the, that's the, the current 
uh, behavior of our world. <clears throat> and I think to myself, well, how much worse can it get? Well, but the Bible says before the Lord comes, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days wherein the Son of Man cometh. The Bible says that every imagination of the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually. And the Bible says in that same context that, viol- uh, that uh, the, the earth was filled with violence. Violence because of sin. Violence because people thought they could do whatever they wanted to do to whoever they wanted to do it to. Folks, that's not holiness. The Bible says, and because iniquity abounds, the love of money shall wax cold. You know, he's talking about Christian people being affected by a sin-cursed world and the growing sin in our world today. Folks, God wants us as Christian people to be a holy people. That doesn't mean holier than thou, like, I'm better than you are. Wow, my, my, my. Look at you sinners. No. No. But we can behave like Christ. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1. And let me say this. You know what? The world treats the word holiness like it's a dirty word. Like it's wrong for people to behave in a proper manner. They think it's like holiness? That's a dirty word. Holy? Now, maybe it's because they've gotten the wrong idea of what holy is. It could be because of the holier-than-thou crowd. And we're not holy. You know what, folks? We're not holier than anyone else. We're saved by the grace of God. We're in a position of holiness before God by, by the grace of Almighty God. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is for us. And we ought to be careful not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. To think sober, let's, let's realize who we are and what we are. But for the grace of God, there go I. But in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1, Paul writes here, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. The will of God, the sanctification, is talking about doing that which pleases God, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, he's writing to Christians. They should abstain from fornication. Remember, a lot of these these, uh, folks are Gentiles, saved out of great, great and gross immorality. Much of their culture was focused on immoral behavior, sometimes even their religion. And he says that... Uh, that, you, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that, you, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, we also, uh, uh, as we also have forewarned you, and testi- forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And you know... <clears throat> He's talking about in every aspect of life being, being honest and fair in our dealings with people and each other. He's talking about holy behavior, holy living. He's talking about being sanctified. 
set apart from sin, consecrated to service in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Them that are his. And what a blessing. The Lord knows who's saved and who's not. The verse doesn't end there. And he says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. Be sanctified. Be holy. Behave. Amen. Rightly. But in a great house are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Sanctified and meet for the uh, master's use, prepared unto every good work. And you know what, folks? A vessel unto honor. You know, sometimes if we're not careful we will fall into the rut that the world has. The world doesn't seem to care anything about honor anymore. They don't seem to care about, about honor in any way, shape, or form. Behaving in an honorable and in an upright manner. You know, if you look back in history, you don't have to look too, far, too much for, further back to see that, that there were people that, you know what, folks, died for honor's sake. Died for honor's sake. You know, we give people the, the Medal of Honor for high and, and meritorious service. They behaved honorably. They did something exemplary. Amen? What about us as Christians? You know, the world may not care, but we should. The Lord cares, and we should care. In 2 Timothy 4 and 1, Paul writes here, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now he's talking to Timothy. He's leaving. He's talking to Timothy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You ever wonder what that means? Does that mean they're going like, oh, man. They don't like what they hear. They want to go here. They want to go someplace else. They want to hear something that, that soothes them. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only but unto all them also that love is appearing. You know, Paul is preparing Timothy for the fact he's going home. And when Paul left this world, when Paul left this world, he left this world holding his head up, though he lost it, holding his head up with honor. Because it brought honor and glory to the God that saved him. You know, folks, we, you know, we, we need to try to behave honorably. And that doesn't mean we have to be a bunch of stuffy people, a bunch of little robots that, are, that just walk in lockstep. You're an individual, but you can be honorable. You can be holy. You can do right by the grace of God. And Titus 2. Grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men.
teaching us that deny, you know, the grace of God teaches us something. What's it going to teach us? Well, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Paul is writing this to Titus as his parting instruction to Titus. And he says, you know, teach people that the grace of God, the grace of God will lead us to sanctified holy living for the glory of God and the good of those that we minister to. In Jude 24 and 25, Jude 24 and 25, and I'm done. The Bible says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. You can't lose your salvation because you and I are in the hand of God. And you know what, folks? Even if you stumble and fall, do you know what? You'll never, you'll never fall so far that God can't hang on to you. Amen. And that God can't lift you up again. You know, the Bible says the just man falleth down seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked fall into mischief. And there's no rising again. Amen. He says... In verse 25, he says, uh, prevent, he says in verse 24, Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. Now, who in this room feels faultless? Nobody. Because we all have faults. But God is going to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God and our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and, for, now and ever. Amen. You know what, folks? By the grace of God, we can be honorable. We can be holy. And folks, with it comes, you know what, folks? With it comes sometimes a peace that we don't know when we're not behaving right. You know, <laughs> when your kids act up, you look at them and say, you need to behave. And then you have, maybe you have to spank them. And they're thinking, oh man, I don't want to get spanked. But when they start to get things straightened out and they start to behave, you know what? They're happier for it. If you don't correct your child, the Bible says you don't love them. You don't love them. Love your children enough to correct them so that they can be their best. So they don't turn out like some of what we see around us. Do you know what, folks? God loves us so much that he corrects us. Because he wants us to do right. Because he knows it's what's best for us. Amen. Amen. We're talking about grace and peace through the knowledge of God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.